Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh god, more of me talking. Rolling, take one. <laughs> Just make sure you shut up once in a while. Is it going to be all right? Welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography, where we discuss a little more just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On this week's show, we'll be talking to the hardest working man in photography, Jamie Maldonado. Our feature this week is our first part of two about the zone system. We'll be doing our best to wade through that mess and tell you about how we've used it to take a few photos here and there. We've also got the answering machine and a couple of zine reviews. But first, Vanya, mm-hmm. how the hell are you? I'm getting through. <laughs> Thanksgiving done. Check. Nice. We're getting close. Oh, so close. Yes. Photographically speaking, I've been shooting a little bit here and there, getting outside of my bubble a little bit, shooting in the water with different people, different locations, which has been really refreshing and nice. Just my usual spot has been... Kind of a shit show, to be honest. Yeah. Everybody's out of school. And honestly, I don't know what the difference is outside dining versus surfing at the pier right now because there's like 40 people at seven o'clock in the morning. It's ridiculous. I just feel like it's defeating the purpose of (laughs) quarantining. So I'm not surfing there right now. Yikes. Been taking a lot of gambles with some expired 220 film and I've been getting lucky. I've actually even acquired some more from one of our lovely listeners. Yes. Thank you very much. Heard a lot about that and I'm really excited for you. That's a good deal. I No, I feel very lucky. We have great listeners, people that support us, and I love doing trades and things like that. So it's just fun. Yeah. I love this community. I know I say it all the time, but I'm going to continue saying it. I also purchased something on eBay for a camera that I don't even have. (laughs) You don't have yet. No. Um, so I got a lens uh, because I may or may not be rehoming a camera body from a specific podcast pal. And so I know that I'm sending my intrepid to somebody and that somebody is probably you. And I'm really excited. I'm really, yes. really excited about this. I, I loved the intrepid and it was such a great first view camera. I talk about this a little bit later, I think. And I'm really happy that it's going to you. Uh, my f- I'm borrowing it, by the way. I'm not keeping it. <laughs> that is not true. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm really happy it's going to you. You're going to love it. It's a great view camera to learn on, and it's time. You've been shooting 4x5 in the Graflex, which is wonderful, for a long mm-hmm. time now, but that's really like shooting 4x5 in a regular camera. You don't have the movements, but with the Intrepid, you have that option of of movements. And that's a whole different hobby. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's kind of neat that we can kind of swap out and share things. That was a 210 Schneider 5.6. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's enough gear talk. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, some somebody's going to want to know what Someone's it is. Someone's going to so. want to know, yeah. So yeah, very excited. So how how about you? How have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I will talk about more about uh, what I've been up to in the winter projects section of our podcast. But I guess 
now I've been kind of focusing a little bit, and I hate this because uh, I'm such a bad capitalist, but I've kind of entered the commerce part of the photographic art world. And yeah, I mentioned in the last show that I had have, I have a new zine series out called In This Land, and I'm really excited about it. And it's one of those that's kind of a, I think it's a sleeper or a slow burner, as they say. I think it'll catch on. But, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about it. Each issue is going to be focusing on like a specific date or a place. And also, at your behest, I'm selling prints through the company Unit Print. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. I've sold one so far, which is really awesome. Yay! I plan on putting up 15 or so different prints each month for people to buy if they want to. And yeah. What kind of sizes are you offering? They offer pretty much everything. I'm focusing on you know the mains like four by six, five by seven, eight by ten, eleven by fourteen, and you know honestly you could there's very large sizes if you want to spend a lot of money on that. Yeah, I don't know if it, basically anything that you want to uh, have a print of, I will do. <laughs> Because, you know, times being what they are. I've actually printed from that company and yeah. they do good work. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Did this have anything to do with me asking you to send a TIFF file to me and then printing out one of your pictures? <laughs> well, it had to <laughs> do with like, that. Wait a minute. Well, it has a lot to do with an old friend of mine from back home who, who messaged me asking if I would make a print of one of my uh, photos I put up. And I was like, well, I don't usually do that. I've never really been a big print guy. But, it's an old friend, you know? So he used to go to like the, the shows that I did and we kind of became close a little bit after that. And he's a great guy. He's a teacher. So yeah, I figured why the hell not? Let me look into this. And so I did it and I figured, you know, I could I could just do this for, for everybody. Why not? Why not? It's a leap. <laughs> I wish they were darkroom prints, but you know, that's just not the world I live in right now. So they are what they are. Oh. And I think if you like my work, you'll like my work on your wall. Hey! Hey! Well, since this is a film photography podcast, we have an answering machine. (laughs) (laughs) We really, really do. Yeah. You think that after a year and a half of this, that we would admit to just faking the whole answering machine thing. But no, this is real. It's a real answering machine with like a little, little tiny tape. Yeah. You have to actually get new tapes. Or can you re-record over those? I can't remember. You Well, you should remember you re-record over those all the time on the real answering machine that we absolutely have. <laughs> so what is the question this week that our listeners have called in to answer? Do you still keep or make family photo albums? And do they differ from the albums your parents made? Very good question. Let's yes. uh, push the button, shall we? Let me push the button. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. This is Suzanne Lopez, and I do make family photo albums. I do one every year, and pretty much just make one a year, and I give it to my parents, because that's all they ever ask for anymore for Christmas, and then I make one that we keep in-house. I use photos that I have taken, and then since my girls are both in college and my stepkids are also at college, I sort of try to snag pictures that they have posted on their Instagrams or social media and include as much as I can from our year. So yes, absolutely, I will never stop. 
I love that. Yeah. Even though her kids are grown, she still does it for her parents and for her. I think it's great. I do. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. And it's, it's, it's knowing Suzanne that that we do just through the podcast. This is not even a tiny bit surprising. Yeah. And it's just (laughs) a billion percent wonderful. It is a good present. I mean, honestly, what's better than that? Well, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, we're obviously going to get into like what our parents did and all of that, but. One, I think it's great that she's giving a photo album to her parents, because usually our photo albums come from our parents. But it's neat that we are living in an age where it's so easy to do that. Yeah, you could order doubles from the photo mat, but that's just doubles, you know? It's not the same. Yeah, my gosh. Do you remember when I had to go through uh, my aunt's photo albums? It was um, it was when my grandmother passed away and she yes. gave me a bucket of pictures. Yes. So my aunt loves cats. And guess what? She loves cats more than you because <laughs> she has panoramic Costco <laughs> photos of her cats. And I'm talking like cats for at least three decades, like different cats that she's had over the years and doubles as well. (laughs) Most of them on the couch or outside, like, you know, when they like loaf and they tuck their little Uh paws in. Oh my God. (laughs) It's almost like you like cats. Maybe we'll have to come back to that that point at some sometime. Uh, yeah, I got a good story. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> if you see my zines, you've seen pictures of Jose and Julie, and in a sense, that family or the people who go through great things with you, they're very much the same. But in the sense that family is who you make of it, uh, these are very different from what my grandparents kept. Yeah, I like the evolution of what is considered a photo album because you look back like at our parents or our parents are boomers and their parents the the differences between their photo albums is pretty great there's a pretty big difference between you know the greatest generation and the boomer generation in their, mm-hmm. their photo albums and there's a big difference between their photo albums and whatever is passing for our photo albums and in robert's case those are are i, I guess pretty much non-existent but also zines <laughs> yeah well i mean also you know what we consider family has has changed drastically as well. Yeah. Which is great. Why not? Yeah, I think so. My life is certainly a lot better because of it. I would say so too. Yes. This is Sam Warner, uh, the unrecovering photography addict on Instagram. I don't make photo albums per se, but I have started making photo books uh, from providers uh, like Shutterfly. Yes. I remember when that was a Thing. It was like Snapfish when Marley was like born. It was like Snapfish and Shutterfly and all these like crazy things. Oh, yeah. They would give you like coupons for like you get a book for five bucks or something. And yeah. I would make those for my mom and all sorts of people. And they're, it's fun and it's easy. It is. I mean, it's a very different thing. And he's right. They're not calling them photo albums because I think, I mean, he's definitely of the generation where photo albums are one thing. And these, these I don't know what they call them, photo books or whatever that you can I think they're just photo books, yeah. There's definitely a difference there. I think there's a difference in how they're made up and, and, well, I mean, you can't distribute photo albums because those are all original prints, which is a weird thing to think about, that we have all of these darkroom prints just sitting in mom's closet, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It wasn't a big deal to make a darkroom print at one point. (laughs) Yeah, I have a... 
my dad's South American license in my drawer actually right here. And it has a small black and white photograph that's just stapled in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You would do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's so strange. Hi both, it's Simon from the UK. Yes, I am making um, a family album on the basis that in the old days, just shooting film, um, it was more egalitarian in that you got a wallet of prints back and everyone had access to it. At the moment, if we're digitizing or just shooting digital, you become the gatekeeper to the family memories and I don't think that's fair just because you happen to be the one pressing the shutter. Thanks guys, love the show. Yes, I agree. (laughs) How many? No, I mean, Uh seriously, how many people like take pictures at family? I mean, I don't I have a huge family. So it's, it's insane. And usually, unfortunately, I'm kind of the gatekeeper, but I distribute the photos right away because that's just what you're supposed to do. But a lot of the times people will take photos and you never see them ever. Yeah. They never share them. There's like a thousand other on that memory card and they have to go through (laughs) it. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Before it was family gatherings, you'd shoot maybe half a roll. Yeah. Maybe a roll. Possibly. Maybe. And then you get doubles and give to grandma or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I still have that bag, which, you know, maybe I should develop another roll. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, But my mom's rolls, and I when I developed those, they're, yeah, they're like special occasions. They're when we went camping or birthday parties and things like that. So it, it was kind of like for these particular things that she wanted to put in photo albums. Ancillary Adams here, and my answer would be yes... Kind of. Not necessarily the traditional family albums that I was used to growing up, which were all analog prints in a very heavy binder of some type that was all, you know, leather bound and whatnot. I usually go and make Facebook albums since a large majority of my family are on Facebook, and so I share those either privately or publicly depending on what type of family event it was. Otherwise, my day-to-day is... Just basically either photos of my wife or or cat. So I haven't really made any albums of our cat yet, but you know, I won't be surprised that shows up at some point. Uh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm sure your wife is very lovely. Please, photos of your cat, though. (laughs) Please. Just the cat album, you know? Just put it on the coffee table, and they'll be like, oh, look at a family album. Cool. And someone flips through it, and it's just the cat. Like, that is perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. (gasps) What? But it is interesting with, um... They do call them albums, like, you know, the the digital folders or whatever on Facebook where you have all these. They call them albums, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you can certainly, like what Simon was saying, you know, shooting digitally, it's it's not as egalitarian. But I think it can be also if if you have somebody. You just had to weave that. I I mean, when he said the word, I was like, oh, my God, that's a wonderful word. (laughs) And, of course, you had to weave that back in there. So, good job. You know, I I do callbacks. I do callbacks. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Hi, Vanya and Eric. Billy Sanford here at B. Sanford Jr. on Instagram. With my son growing up in the digital age, up until he was around 12 or so, we did make a few books for vacations and holidays, but they were the printed kind like you would order online. I love my old photo albums like my parents made, but it seems like photos in general are a little less precious these days because everyone has a camera in their pocket. My parents had maybe dozens of pictures of them growing up. I had maybe hundreds. We're well into the thousands.
thousands for my son, but he hasn't even graduated high school yet. Each generation will probably decide how they want to preserve their memories. My son and his friends seem to prefer video over still images anyway. I might have too if that had been an option for me at his age, but I'm just not sure where those videos will be living when he gets to be my age. Take care. Well, yeah, there's a lot there. There um, is. I don't even know where to begin. No, I think well, with the evolution of photography, there were families whose well, whose baths were you know when you were born, when you got married, and then when you die. Those are your three baths, and there were also <laughs> coincidentally your three photos. <laughs> <laughs> they take a picture of you when you were a baby, maybe maybe when you got married, and then after you were dead. We take a lot more photos now. I mean, now if you get a picture of like, oh, this is this is great great grandfather, whatever. That's it's rare. It's like the one picture of this guy. And then with our parents, there were you know, like you said, hundreds maybe. Yeah. You know, with us, maybe maybe hundreds more, maybe thousands. And I don't know. There's probably a lot of me as a kid, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of you as a kid. I've seen many of them. Yes. You're you're crying in in an un. Strange <laughs> amount of them. It's true. A very uncomfortable amount of them. <laughs> or I look pissed. You do. Oh, I have to. I have one. I have to show you. Okay. Oh my god, you're gonna love it. It's like a family picture, and then like I'm off, like like off on the side, just kind of like Meh. I don't know, just being weird on my own, weirdo middle child. <laughs> Off being weird on your own kind of describes your life in a lot of ways. Yeah, actually it does. (laughs) But he says, you know, everybody has a camera now. And so photos are less precious. True. And I think that is true. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And in some ways, and and honestly, I think it has to do with a little bit of like how you were raised, you know, with photos. I'm so thankful for my mom that she documented as much as she did. Yeah. And then, you know, I obviously translated that into like my kids and how much I wanted to document them as well. And I definitely doubled that, you know, or if not tripled. Oh, sure. It'll be interesting to see how Marley does it. Like the kids these days. Oh, God. (laughs) So my daughter's 13. I set Marley up with an Instagram when she was like seven years old. And of course, it was on private. So like only and it's still on private. So it's just family, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. because she's pretty funny. Uh, so there's like a photo of her from like, I don't know, like 2007 on there. And she had a bunch of old photos. And like a year or two ago, she deleted them all. Oh. And they do this thing where it's like, they just keep only like six or nine photos. And that's it. And that's like all a, they have. They have a rolling delete. Yes. Wow. And I'm like, how could you do that? That's so crazy. That's, she's like, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so weird. And like, that's what they do. If you look at like the younger kids, they do that. And, and she also like, uh, shows and tells me like little things that people do. Like right now, kids are into like trying to get a blurry photo of them. But I mean, that seems pretty easy to do. Actually, is it easy to do now with like, well, that's the thing with like cell phones and yeah. like that, you know, <laughs> it, it's all automatic. Oh my God. I don't know. But yeah, it's really interesting. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I guess, I mean, you don't have to care about photos. We can, we as a species have lived without photography <laughs> for, well, I don't know, hundreds of years. So yes. Dealing with photography, but I think the point is it's memory. The memory is what, at least for me, the memory 
I don't remember until I look at something and then I can, it kind of triggers something like, oh yeah, like I do remember that or no, I don't remember that. But it'll be interesting to see how they remember. Yeah. Will it be video like Billy was saying or will there be really nothing and they'll just have their memories, you know, the, the faulty, horrible human memories that we all have. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, that's all of them. Thanks everybody for calling in we really appreciate it. These are these are really fun this time. I love this one. I'm so glad that we asked it. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess the time has come now that we should probably answer this ourselves. So, Vanya, what uh, what are you thinking here? Well, I mean, I could go on and on about this. Yeah. I think this is like the basis of why I'm a photographer. It's true. It's because of my mom's photo albums. Yes. And I do. I do make them. I try to find old ones that have the stupid plastic sticky thing that are really bad for pictures. <laughs> Does the sticky yeah. thing still work? Is it still sticky? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, they, I've been able to find some. So oh, I okay. have like a, a couple newer albums that, you know, I've stuck like newer pictures in. Oh, okay. So yeah, I like that. I mean, my, my mom gave me a few of the albums that were just like, when I was young or whatever, and it has like that kind of marbled cover. Sure, yeah. It's a binder, and it's like kind of got that marble. Mine's burgundy, and it has like a little gold trim around it. Does it say photos on the spine? It probably does. (laughs) And then when you open it, it has all those like clear plastic pages. Yeah. But because of age, it has like like, a little bit of yellow to it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. My mom has her wedding album. It's a wood album, and it's hand painted oh my god yeah it's gorgeous she was um married in in chile Mm -hmm. uh back in i don't know in the 60s or something i can't remember she was really young (laughs) but (laughs) um it's it's just really neat i I love them so much and everybody has their own little styles and stuff i like to see what my mom placed together and what she decided worked well or not she ended up giving me a ton of uh, photos that were loose. And she was like, here, you know, you can have these. And, you know, she kind of split them up between all the siblings. So I've been kind of making albums with those old photographs also. Yeah. Uh, So that's been a lot of fun. And as far as like my family, I do, but I haven't done one this year. I think I had a little bit more drive when the kids were a lot younger. Sure. Yeah. And now they're like moved out. And, you know, Marley's kind of, you know, doing her own thing. I mean, I take a billion pictures of her so and i'm printing now so <laughs> it's true yeah. we're, we have a lot and i send those to family and stuff i think i'm forgetting about this year for some reason and maybe i shouldn't i think maybe i need to to make an album about it 2020 is a really bizarre year <laughs> it is but i i have taken a lot of pictures yeah. and you know we have been able to do little things here and there so i think i will make one at some okay. point so uh one thing that i have been doing the past couple of years though is making zines. And I think that kind of replaced photo albums a little bit for me, because I'm not really taking birthday pictures of the kids anymore. It's just I'm just taking straight up photography pictures of surfing and landscapes and buildings and whatever, you know, so I think zines have kind of replaced that a little bit for Mm -hmm. me right now. It's not a family album, but it's kind of like a timestamp of the season or the year. So and I tried to write something in there of what was going on and why I photographed it. 
So yeah, yeah I guess that's kind of what I've been doing. It makes sense. Yeah. How about you? My childhood can be measured by the release dates of Duran Duran records oh, and goodness. my mom's photo albums. <laughs> I talked about learning to shoot with my dad's Pentax K1000 quite a bit, and where those photos ended up, not mine, but my dad's, were the many, many, many albums compiled by my mom. My dad would take the pictures, most of them. My mom would take some too, and then my mom would compile them. They started, my mom, she started doing this right after they got married, and it was those old sticky page ones that you were talking about. And mm-hmm. after a few of those, they graduated to the binder style, with the burgundy or the, the blue with like the, the, Little, would you say the uh, like a marble, like a marble, show. yeah, yeah. And there was a different color <laughs> for each year. There's there's dark blue and there's light blue and burgundy and like ugly hunter green. Hunter don't green. forget, yeah. <laughs> like most families, the albums were based mostly around Christmas and birthdays, vacations, family reunions, stuff like that. And it's it's safe to say that most of my childhood memories are actually not memories, but like memories of photographs, not the events themselves, which is, I'm sorry, that's a weird concept. There's certain things in my childhood that I remember from photos of like events like that I was, I wasn't at. (laughs) I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't involved in it, but I remember it like I was because of the photos, because we would Mm. spend a lot of time pouring over the photo albums. Mm -hmm. My mom didn't just make them and put them away. We got them out a lot, like all the time. We didn't have the internet or cable or anything like that. So we looked at photo albums. And that's a big chunk of my childhood. I'll call home once in a while and ask, you know, like, hey, we did this one thing. And uh, maybe it was this year. My mom will look through the photo album and find the picture and and take a shitty cell phone picture of it and send it to me. She can't be bothered (laughs) to scan things. A few callers have mentioned that photo albums that they, they do now are zines or books that you can made online. And those are, I'm not a fan of this word at all, but curated. The, the zines that we do and the photo albums that we make online at like uh, Shutterfly or whatever, they, they're very curated. You know, there's even like layouts and stuff that we can do. Uh, and that's, that's fine. You know, obviously I do a lot of zines. That's fine. But but my mom's photo albums weren't that. She did what was the 80s equivalent of photo dumping. There was no bar too low. (laughs) (laughs) Everything got in. No matter what you looked like, you if you had like 40 chins, it was in. It did not matter. (laughs) Didn't matter at all. I hope that one day I somehow make it into Pennsylvania and I'm going to knock on your mom's door and be like, I want to see the photo album. She will be more than happy to show you. I'm so, that's the best thing about going to like older people's houses. Like, let me see these photo albums you got going on. I mean, everything got in. Like, like if there was a, a photo of every single present we opened at Christmas before, during, and after, all of them got in it. So there's there's a lot. If there was an event or something, my mom would just stack the photos up and shove them in one of those in the in the, in the little sleeves. Just just shove like ten photos in a single sleeve just to get everything in there. It was a mess. Amazing. It was a mess. And so yeah, you know, I mean, now the only equivalent I have are my zines, which. I think is one of the reasons why I started doing more and more zines. I think it's why I do a lot of zines, honestly. I think that, that goes back to my mom's photo albums. Just it's, shoving it. Just, <laughs> just shoving everything I can possibly get. No, I mean, they are. They're literally every single photo that goes into my zines now for the past year, two years, goes through your approval. So if mm-hmm. there's a bunch of photo dump photos in there. <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> No, I select good photos. You do. Okay. I'm very happy with the zines that I make. <laughs> oh. 
Where's my cut, by the way? <laughs> Where's mine? <laughs> uh, this is fun. <laughs> Right about now, please, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for star time? We'd like to introduce you to a young man who's done it all. Personal space, mirror universe, how to be when you aren't even anywhere at all. Loneliest colors, and the newest release, Lazaretto. So let's hear it. Give a big round of applause to the hardest working photographer in show business, Mr. Film Photography for the digital age himself, the man with the camera, the star of the show, James Maldonado. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Uh, I, um, I just chased my dog around because she had some uh, a poop situation and was dragging across the carpet so i just had a dog in the shower uh so i, I was like i've got 30 minutes until i've got to be on the call <laughs> oh no yeah. oh no but uh everything is good now <laughs> awesome <laughs> awesome all right so let's do a quick intro yeah how did you get involved with film photography and get to where you are now i grew up on film and uh, i took a photo class in 1998 when i was a freshman in college back then digital was a joke it was like cds and one megapixel cameras and stuff like that everything i learned at first was on film but then i, I never like got super into it like I, I did it like enthusiast kind of i became a journalist and then a few years later as i was finishing college really i got this itch to spend a thousand dollars on a digital camera because the nikon d1 had just come out a couple of years before i was around newspaper photographers all the time and they had theirs and one of them let me borrow it one night and like so uh i got that and i shot every picture under the sun for i don't know several years but i would still drag out i had a film camera i would use now and then but i was like oh 35 is dead to me uh digital does everything better <laughs> <laughs> And so medium format got me first, but then mm. I kept looking and early on, I did a lot of concert photography mm. and then I did a lot of event coverage and weddings and stuff like that. I got really sick of going through 2000 photos on Photoshop or Lightroom and then editing so many of them. I'd go and I could shoot four rolls of film and it's still not even close to as much drain as digital. Been kind of doing 50-50 for a long time and it was really probably the the quarantine that I needed money because I got laid off. I had a medium format digital camera. I'm like, well, there's a few months of pay right there. <laughs> So I sold it and I just did without even thinking about it. I've been going about six months. Like my digital camera is filming me right here. And that's the most I've done with it since like March. Oh, wow. I use it for video for YouTube and stuff. So it's just kind of naturally as I haven't had to depend on digital for work. It's just really overtaken everything I do because I enjoy the process and the results from beginning to end. It's just a little more enjoyable. And I don't really miss 3000 photos anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No. I think we can both agree on yeah. that. I think we've all done that in some way. Yeah. So you have your newest zine, Lazaretto. But I want to go back to the one before that. It, it, it featured a lot of photos of women dressed, and this was in quotes, as their perception of themselves and placed in a somewhat mythological context. Was that your idea going into it? Was that something that the essayist came um, up with? Or where'd this idea come from? That was kind of a core of most of my work, really. This kind of, especially the the, the two series I did, 
actually three series I did before that one were all kind of set in this fantasy version of East Texas or this kind of internal fantasy land. So it's not like a an awful place, but it's also more like more realistic emotionally than what you see on the surface surface especially like in texas like oh we're good church going people who just kind of hang out and (laughs) (laughs) totally not racist at all (laughs) (laughs) um so it's kind of like that i try to not make my uh subjects clothes hangers or like just stand-ins for my ideas because that there is like a lot of objectification with that Uh, i heard plenty about the male gaze and uh and gaze theory in general. And so I'm like, okay, well, my thing is sort of, I like to think of it as the collaborative gaze. Like I can't just go up to a woman and say, look, I'm seeing you the right way now. Uh, this is all great. I, I'm totally, I'm totally woke. <laughs> Yay me. Uh, <laughs> Our next question was how much input did the models have in the shoot? I will sometimes have a very explicit concept. I bring a lot of pieces and kind of a rough structure into the picture. We bounce the ball back a couple of times. And I try to give them input about what direction it'll go in. I kind of like have this overall like emotional theme and idea. And then also I like to play off of my circumstances and surroundings and not necessarily go with plan A, have a starting point and then let the photo kind of make itself. And so I involve them in that as much as I can. I feel better about it if they arrive at it like, oh, yeah, uh, I'll do this. And I'm like, okay, that works really well for the idea. So it's more of a collaboration than yeah. like, yeah. A, than yeah. like you being the controller of this photo shoot. Yeah. So moving from Loneliest Colors, because of the coronavirus, you did a unique project that took place through the web. Tell us yeah. what that was all about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was in Florida. Mm-hmm right when things started getting really bad and I just barely made it back before uh, before it locked down basically. So all of a sudden I was locked in and it's like, well, I don't know when I'll see people again. I don't mind like shooting non-people photos, but it's definitely not like my core as a photographer. And like I saw a video of somebody who did wet plates on their computer screen of people through like FaceTime or something. Oh, wow. Interesting. And it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, I've got a four by five camera. And it's like, okay, ca- calm down a little bit. <laughs> what if I <laughs> what if I instead use my possible blood or or canon or something and did some pictures <laughs> instead? Yeah. I had a, a friend who who models with me uh, for me, like who lives kind of closer than most of my other models. And uh, I was like, hey, can you uh can we connect on FaceTime and kind of see what happens? And I had an iPad at the point. I would take a picture of the iPad and kind of get a feel like that's a little too too rough around the edges. And so I was just kind of like, I'm sitting here bored. Let me just see if there's anything here because this is a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. But I have to figure out how to make it work because they're all going to look awful. Like the pictures are going to look <laughs> terrible. So can I make something out of these terrible pictures? They're going to be grainy and pixely and they'll probably be like mouse cursors on them or something like that. <laughs> and I uh, settled uh, on a Canon A2 with an autofocus lens and a mm. Canon T70. Okay. Uh, and I would shoot the screen live at first mm-hmm. and then people's internet connections were bad and my internet connection was bad. So I'm like, okay, it's, looks like mosaics so i've got to see if i can do anything to get a step better around the same time i discovered that you can take live photos through facetime Hmm. and that's when i'm like okay well here's an extra layer of silliness i would take the live photos on facetime which were at least at camera quality 
So it's probably like 720p or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would take these pictures in there and then immediately after, if I could, I would pull those, my favorites up 24 or so up and I would shoot them. So I'd have to photograph it live on Skype. And I really liked doing that. It was really fun because the person on the other end can hear the camera going off and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the quality was just too poor most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I like the idea of the live photo because then you have time to kind of set up your shot and kind of get it in frame. Yeah, most of them, anything on medium format, save for one or two shoots, uh, which were on a Hasselblad, they were on the that the Pentax. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked really well because I had the motor drive. It was clunky enough to be endearing, but advanced enough to uh, to not get in the way. Yeah, so this project became the zine lazaretto were they models that you had shot before or with some new ones at first i did work with mostly people only people i had worked with before and i was i was fairly decent friends with so that like i could totally mess everything up and it wouldn't matter because they would understand that i was doing something really weird and then i did start branching out to people i had never worked with or uh, had a uh, there was one person, um, she's got like a double spread near the front, like in a white and in a blue shirt. Uh, she, I was supposed to shoot with her in Florida. It's like, hey, uh, we can still work together if we do this. And that that's what happened there. So I started branching out near the end. And most of them, the photos in the book happened between the very first of April and then the very end of August. Okay. There were about... Uh, 45 shoots total and i shot probably two to five rolls of film each shoot wow wow i put everything on this smug bug page each shoot on there so i could show the next person like this is what i'm trying to do this is what i've done so far and that was kind of more part of my process setting these up so one of the reasons i had worked with people i was pretty close with at first to kind of get a feel for it and also build up some examples Mm-hmm. And so I'd show them as like, I'd say I had 20 at the time here, are 20 shots I've done before. You'll notice they're all over the place. So, you know, we'll kind of pick out a weird location or a bedroom or a park or, or your living room or backyard or uh, any number of things. And we'll kind of get a feel for that location. And then we'll see what you have in the closet and uh, go from there. And some people were like, I have the perfect thing. I'll wear this and that. I'm like, okay, cool. And others were like, okay, well, I only have this backyard i'm like okay i like this it makes me think of this and be like go from there and like oh i have this thing that'll fit in it and it just kind of each one kind of worked like that and uh so i have like over a thousand photos i've edited probably (laughs) and (laughs) it was so hard (laughs) to to narrow it down to like one per shoot for the zine <laughs> as you were compiling them did you have like a specific format or theme or maybe a, a different like a specific layout in mind when you were shooting or i had wanted to do a slightly slightly wider layout okay but that was a little like having lost my job thanks to the virus i'm like okay the budget's gonna shrink that in a little bit <laughs> but i, I had kind of a rough form factor in mind like i wanted heavy matte pages mm-hmm. i wanted it to look scrapbookish and I've always mm-hmm. been so bad at getting the grunge look. So I would like open an InDesign thing and I put like 20 spreads out. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like literally slap these photos on pages, trying to pretend like it was like an, a physical object and like moving them in and out and deleting them, sh- shrinking, growing. I, I got about five false starts out of that. And then finally something clicked and then the rest kind of just fell into place from there. Because I kind of established my design language inspired by Deborah Turberville's Wallflower, her uh, collage work. Mm-hmm. And also a little bit like Frank Ockenfels, a third scrapbooks. So because you were shooting film on monitors, which is something 
Yeah. It's still a foreign concept to me. Were you were you using like specific emulsions? Did you test emulsions? Or did you just go I, for I did yeah, I just bought a bunch of junk. Like I had I had some film laying around. Mm-hmm. I shot a couple rolls of ectochrome, which was not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried like some Porcher 160, and it's like I'll push it because uh, the the monitor you can only get so bright. And the yeah. other limitation is you can't shoot too fast because of refresh rates because you'll get banding in the yeah. monitor. So you have to shoot between like uh, 160th and 1/125th of a second, mm. and everything pretty much had to be wide open because it just wasn't bright enough. At first, I had the Ultrafine Extreme and some HP5 and stuff. I'd shoot it at like 1600, and like, okay, there's plenty. And then I'd find out 1600 is probably too too much. Yeah. So I could do like 800 or 400, mm-hmm. but Portrait for 400 was kind of like the Goldilocks zone for these. It had yeah. enough range that I wouldn't completely nuke the highlights. Mm-hmm. I could pull something out of the shadows and it had enough color depth that I could get a little contrast back in it. So Portra 400 eventually became the go-to and a little bit of Lomo 800 in there too. So some men shoot exclusively women. It seems yeah. like you do. What is your approach and your photography in general? What like separates you from the, the male gaze? I keep working with women uh, in part because I think that men have said enough. If I'm to take that to the extreme, I'm like, I'm not going to take pictures of anyone. I'm just going to not take pictures of people. I'm like, well, I really want to take pictures of people. Mm-hmm. That's my line in the sand. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, and I'm not going to just photograph men because I have to, I have to do whatever. Cause I feel like men have had all of art history to talk about themselves. Yeah. And this is where my uh, collaborative gaze idea comes in where I'm like, I can't be a woman's point of view. And unfortunately I can't always give the woman my point of view, but I can maybe do something positive as um, a cisgendered heterosexual man to give a voice uh, to show other people like me. It's like, you can have this kind of collaboration with someone. Yeah. And uh, that's what I attempt to do. And not that I'm always successful, but that's kind of the approach I try to take with it. And I do emotionally resonate more with women. And I think if I lived in a place that wasn't so heavily patriarchal, I would have more men who were on the same wavelength that I might photograph more. But here, I think that emotional spectrum is mostly in that realm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, very, actually. Very good answer. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, you are what well, you're doing a lot. You we kind of we've referred to you before as the the hardest working photographer in show business, um, <laughs> which may or may not be true, but it is a fun thing to say. Big part of what you do is your YouTube channel, which is kind of very mm-hmm. separate from what we do, and I'm barely on YouTube. So, what's that about? What's going on there? I really wanted to be. A college professor, which is why I bothered with grad school in the first place, other than just really wanting to get as deep as possible into the art side of photography. And that was like the easy way. But I also wanted to be a photo teacher. I have a friend and who is my mentor and photo teacher at Kilwar College in uh, Kilwar, Texas, Rufus Lovett, who's also an incredible photographer, I might add. Hmm. He's uh, he worked for like People Magazine and and Texas Monthly and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, very accomplished. If you like Southern photography topics. Yeah. Um, Definitely look up over Rufus Lovett. I wanted to take that job basically because he was nearing retirement. I had a foot in the door because I was basically his assistant for almost five years. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want that job when he retires (laughs) and I can only have it with a master's degree. So I get almost to the master's degree and I was trying to get the MFA and the whole professor drama situation was going on. I shut the door on the MFA. I'm like, that's it. 
I'm just going to get the MA, but all I need is an MA to teach at a junior college. So at least I have that. So I get that. I get a job as a campus photographer at my junior college. I'm like, I'm right here. I'm waiting. You know, it's going to happen. They kill the photo program. Oh, no. <laughs> Budget cut. And I'm like, that was my whole goal of getting surviving grad school. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm like, oh, man. I wanted to be a photo teacher and I was going to be happy retiring in that job. <laughs> and now it's gone. So I'm like, I, but I really just like the idea of teaching or, or probably just talking and being heard. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I really enjoy doing that. And my mom's a teacher too. And, um, blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Or am I going to talk about photography rambles and stuff? At the same time, I had finally decided after years that video internet wasn't the worst possible invention of all mankind. <laughs> and so, so I started like watching a ton of YouTube, like nonstop. I'm like, I want to do this. It's like, this is how I could get my, my silly photo lectures out and talk to people about camera stuff. Yeah. And that's where it kind of grew out of. And mm -hmm. a, a lot of it's just kind of, figuring out what you can do and what there's a little space for that people will pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And you find the, the Goldilocks zone of like, I enjoy this and people will watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of what it's evolved into. So for the last question, it will be the answering machine question. Mm -hmm. And this one is how has 2020 changed you as a photographer? As far as immediate changes, it's made me really think about things that I shoot already differently and uh, to appreciate that I enjoy photography and not just taking pictures of people. I enjoy like actually just taking pictures of things like it, it's reminded me that I'm not just like a portrait or project photographer. I, I felt so compelled to take pictures no matter what. And like, mm -hmm. I couldn't take pictures of people. I didn't take a picture of a person that wasn't on a computer for three months. Yeah. And in that time, I would have to go within a one block radius and find something to take pictures of because I just really like taking pictures. Yeah. And yeah. I think it, it reminded me how much I actually enjoy the process and work of photography. Awesome. I would like to check back in with you and see how you're doing in a yep. little bit. Yep. Next zine that comes out, you know, okay. give us a holla and let us know. And Well, thank you. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> cool. Have a good night. Uh, you, yeah, too. you too. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye. -bye. bye. In photography, as in life, there are many zones. We've got twilight zones, erogenous zones, no parking zones, and just zones. As in the zone system. In the 1930s, Ansel Adams worked out a method for exposure and development control known as the zone system. His ultimate goal with it was to expose film with the final print in mind so that the range of tonal densities on the print perfectly matched those he saw in real life. Okay, well, before we get too deep into this, let's cover two other ways of metering a scene just to get us all on the same page. First, I think we'll start by describing a scene. And this scene, which is a picture, we have before us, we've got a building on kind of on the right side of, of the frame. And it's an old building, maybe from the early 1900s. It's wood. Uh, it looks kind of like an, a Wild West facade, you know, kind of the square thing with the bu building on the background. The square front is very dark wood, some light pieces here and there. Yeah, very weathered. Yeah, yeah, there's a real weathered, but not sun bleached. But the side going kind of off of the right to the right frame is very sun bleached. Behind that, you've got a nice 
yard, a field, I guess, and a line of trees all the way on the left. And that line of trees leads back to a white church with the front kind of very white and the side that's kind of also facing us. We're sort of looking at it at a 45 degree angle uh, is kind of in shadow, but not too bad of a shadow. The sky is mostly clear, a northern sky, which will come in handy a little bit later. And it's very, some very wispy clouds. So we have three ways we can meter this. What are those ways? Sunny 16, EV, and zone system. Ooh, okay. Let's say we've got ourselves a regular manual camera, and maybe we've loaded it up with T-Max, 100 T-Max, or FP4, which is also 125-ish ISO. So we're going to be shooting this thing at around 100 ISO, somewhere in there. If I was traveling and maybe I was shooting a 35 millimeter and I didn't, I couldn't find my light meter, which is probably something that happens in real probably. life. Yeah. Um, and I saw that the, su- the sky was like a normal sunny day. I would probably go with like a sunny 16. So a hundredth of a second, F16. And for the most part, I would get everything somewhat well exposed. Yeah. So yeah. sunny 16 on a sunny day. I taught my daughter that. So she has a little SLR camera and I taught her sunny 16. It's her first little method. <laughs> I'm so proud of her. But yeah, I mean, I use it. It comes in handy. So like, you know, same thing if you're using like 400 speed film, sunny 16 works with that on 400 of a second. Your shutter speed matches your film speed if your aperture is at f16. Yes. It's a very simple thing, but it's not always accurate. You will always get a shot and you always get a pretty okay shot. And mm-hmm. what's great is that it doesn't require a meter. So it's easy and you don't really need any kind of equipment, just a, a memory of where that's supposed to go. But what's some drawbacks here? Yeah. So I guess the cons, um, it's not always sunny. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's not exactly very accurate, you know, depending on which way you're facing. It requires a little bit of math to it. Yeah, especially if you maybe want to adjust if the sun isn't quite as bright or is a little brighter, or maybe you're shooting 64 speed film, and you got to try to figure that out. You do require a little bit of mental math. But looking at this scene, if we were going to use Sunny 16, we would probably lose a little bit of shadow detail. It's it's a kind of a tricky scene mm-hmm. to yeah. look at, you know? Thankfully... On this imaginary slash kind of real journey, I have a I have a spot meter with me. Mm-hmm. So I can do something a little bit more than just guessing. Yes, you can. Here's where exposure value comes in. Yes. And you might think that EV stands for Eric and Vanya, mm, but... It kind of does. But yes, <laughs> it is exposure value. Exposure value is like the levels of brightness. They've been assigned numbers. And generally, the numbers are 0 to 19-ish. I think it goes higher. And there's th- some negative ones. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's We're going to be dealing with whatever the meter tells us to, which is kind of nice and sort of easy. It is. I absolutely love spot meters. They're one of my favorite <laughs> tools. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> When they work, um, I've gone through like four or five spot meters, unfortunately, because I really like this old Pentax one that I've had forever. So I keep buying the same one over and over and um, (laughs) they keep breaking. (laughs) Yeah, I've gone through two. I've left the one I was shooting Shoshone Falls or Shoshone Falls, I guess is what it's called. And I left it on the roof of my car and drove down the interstate. But I got about 60 miles and I had to turn around to find it. Yeah, I do remember that. 
Yeah, it was not working. Oh, no, you've done this twice. Because wait, this year, you left your spot meter and you had to drive back, right? That's true. <laughs> I was shooting in Idaho near Curlew National Grasslands. And I left it on this on this beautiful like hill, horrible road. But oh, it was such a wonderful little road. And I, I pulled over, not even I didn't even pull over. There's no place to pull over. You're driving up kind of a ledge. And I left it there in the middle of the road. And fortunately, nobody drives on these roads. So I had to drive back another hour to to get this meter. Wow. And that one was working. That one was fine. So yeah, I guess if we're going to do a (laughs) pros and cons list for spot meters is the cons is you're going to fucking leave it places. Totally. Um, I mean, you could download an app also. They have yeah. light meter apps on your phone. There's different ones. There's like Perfect Light Meter, uh, Light Me, and uh, My Light Meter Pro. Yeah. For Android, I use, I think it's just called the Light Meter app uh, by WB Photo. They all go off of your phone's camera. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're all kind of the same. And you know, they're actually really accurate. Yeah, they're not bad. No. Now, any light meter app will will do, but if you want to use the EV method, you're going to need one that 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 reads EV. Yeah, yeah, and all the ones that we mentioned do. Yes, I mean it's not just as simple as pulling out your phone or your light meter and then just metering one spot. It's really important to point it in basically all the light spots, all the dark spots, and kind of get a full range of of your EV throughout your scene. What I think you do and I do. You will measure, you know, the brightest and then the darkest and then kind of find your middle ground as far as like what what's the best EV for the entire scene for it to be well exposed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, well, I don't really care if there's any shadow detail and, you know in the very darks, so I want them to be very dark, then, you know, then you don't have to. But generally with, with using a spot meter, you're looking for like an average, like so that you don't blow out your highlights and you don't lose shadow detail. So in this scene, I'm looking at like, well, the darkest spots, you know, down on the corner, there's a, a bit of darkness because of the shadow from the trees. And so I would meter that. Side of the church. The side of the church is kind of bright. So I would meter that. So I hope, hopefully wouldn't blow that out and get some nice, nice detail there. And also the side of the building, the side of the, the closest building is a little bit lighter. So I get that. I would look for the kind of the medium areas, you know, and that's a way that you can shoot something like this. It requires, I guess, common sense and maybe a little guessing and probably a, a little bit of just being experienced at doing it. Yeah, just practicing, using Practice. it, using yeah. it, and, and even saying it like out loud. And oh, I yeah. think it's a little bit of like memorization with this. And it if is. you have like an actual light meter that has the EV system like on it, it just just start to like look at that and read like, okay, so this is EV 16. This is, the, you know, because the light meter that you and I both use uses the EV. And then you yes. change the number and it gives you, you know, your range of different exposures to each f-stop which is great so once you like we do measuring all of these different different locations and each location will give you a different uh, exposure value number these numbers aren't going to mean anything to you just yet but Mm -hmm. hold tight you'll get maybe some dark around ev8 or ev7 you get some lights around maybe ev15 ev16 17 somewhere up in there but if you find something in the middle so for me somewhere in the middle turned out to be ev14 now what ev14 means is that it's a nice sunny day but not sunny 16 sunny 16 
would be uh, EV15, which is just this close to being not confusing. <laughs> so what are your ranges? What, what do you have at EV15? What can you shoot? Just give like a couple examples. Well, EV15, you would be F16, one one twenty fifth of a second. But you were EV14. So but what- I was EV14. So EV14 would give me F16 one sixtieth of a second. And that's a fine way to shoot something. If you have a bigger camera or maybe a, a, a smaller lens, you can shoot that handheld pretty easily, you know? But if you want to uh, definitely make sure that you are uh, not getting any motion blur or any kind of camera shaky blur, maybe F8 at one two hundred fiftieth of a second or 5.6 at one five hundredth of a second. And so the dial is set up on these where you set your ISO and then all the numbers line up once you then independently set your EV. It's very handy and it's really difficult to explain. You Once you see it, like the second you look at it, you'll think, oh, I get how that works. We should probably take a picture of it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> it's maybe the first step for you to really understand the relationship between f-stop and aperture at a certain light level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of those like um, SLR cameras, uh, like 35 millimeter cameras, they just have like a dial inside. Yeah. So you can kind of like, you know, move it around and adjust a little, but it doesn't really go deeper than that. And having a spot meter, it kind of gives you a better relationship with like how to read light. And what's nice is if you're one of those large format shooters and you wanted to shoot this, you could shoot this at F64 at one quarter of a second. Ooh. What if I really wanted to just have that like building in focus? Only that building in focus? Yeah. Well, yeah. then you'd want to shoot as fast as you could. Say if you have a an F2 lens, you could <laughs> open that sucker up to, la- to F2 and shoot one four thousandth of a second. <laughs> I don't know what kind of camera you've got that does that, a magic camera, but there you go. You could do that. That's generally how both of us have metered every shot for the past several years. Yes. Oh, and one thing that sometimes I almost forget to do, if I have a yellow filter and I'm shooting black and white, or if I have a red filter, I stick the filter in front of the light meter and then I meter through that. You could, or you, and I do that too. Or sometimes I do know the how many stops. Yeah, I guess I could read the instructions of the the filter, but pff, those were thrown yeah. away long, long <laughs> ago. Most of my my filters are like you know old, and I don't know where any of those boxes are. But once you meter through the filter once, you do have that information, and you can either write it down or you know tape it to the to the the, the spot meter or remember it which is unlikely for either of us to ever I'm do like, any of those obviously things obviously i'm not doing any of those things <laughs> <laughs> remember when we were kids and we we remembered phone numbers what happened to us <laughs> um i for me it was 80s hip hop i have every single 80s hip hop song stuck in my head from beginning to end. I've got several Public Enemy albums. Stored in there instead of phone numbers. Yeah, this is why I failed math. I can't remember math because of this. <laughs> Which is why it's nice to write these things down. Yes. Yes. So, that's EV. So, I guess we can move on to the star of our show, yes. the Zone System, which you and I both kind of learned for this episode. We're not yeah. Zone System yeah. experts, as will become. We are not. Very I'm sure clear. we're going to get some emails for this one. So, yeah. all you Zone System people, I hope you're really listening. Because- 
because you're going to be shaking your head a lot. (laughs) You probably won't have to really listen. It should be apparent. (laughs) I guess we should start off by explaining what the zone system does that EV doesn't inherently do. Okay. I guess with the zone system, like we said at the top, it's a way to make sure that what you're seeing in real life is mimicked on the print all through the exposure, the development, and the printing stage. So that Mm -hmm. if the shade of gray, we're going to be using grays here, is a certain zone number, and we'll get to that, it is also that certain zone number on the print. That, and then also being able to learn how to use the zone system to manipulate things to get higher contrasts, darker darks, and lighter lights and getting an image that is not just a well-exposed image, but a masterpiece. Yes, the image (laughs) you want. (laughs) We're reading The Negative by Ansel Adams, and it's kind of a rough book to get through. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, I was going to say he'd be better equipped to describe it and explain it, but I think a lot of it took place maybe in his head, and he understands it fully, like a lot of you understand it fully, but maybe being a good communicator, that's not his strong suit. The information that he gives is good information, but how he gives it, maybe not. Uh, He just has a a certain way of writing and it it is a little bit hard to follow along. Honestly, it's kind of fun to just be able to tell you guys what we've learned so far and give you guys a basic explanation. And hopefully it gets you excited to pick up the book and read it, or maybe incorporate this a little bit into your photography. Yeah. So what the hell is a zone system? (laughs) What is that? So basically, the zone system is a range from pitch black to bright white, and it's dividing all those levels of light in 11 zones. Yeah, no, you are. You're, you're taking your, your total dynamic range and dividing it up into 11 and giving them the, well, the names of the numbers and uh, I guess ascribing them obvious characteristics. Yes. And to make it super fancy, you got to do Roman numerals, right? <laughs> because why not? <laughs> So you said the it goes from the darkest black to the whitest white. Yes. So we're not going to use the darkest black in most of their photos. We're not going to use the whitest white in most of our photos. So mm-hmm. that cuts out two zones. Yes, right which is... Zero and ten. Ten being the white and zero being black. Like black, no shadow detail, no nothing. It's just black. So like the border of your image, if you <laughs> scan in your your image border on your film... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And right in the middle, which is five, is middle gray. Yes. Yes. So let's go through them. We're going to, I mean, we're going to get rid of zero and one. Yes, because those are black and basically black. (laughs) And we're going to start at two. (laughs) Yes, which is, which is black with texture. Very, very little detail. You generally in a photo, in a normal photo, in an average photo, you don't want to really even get much into two. Yes. But it's there. It's there. Three, and that's very dark with good amount of texture. So, like, the darkest part of the wood grain in this image would be probably zone three. Yeah. And four is dark, like dark leaves, dark rocks, uh, heavy shadows on a landscape. Five, again, this is your middle gray, the tones of weathered wood or dark skin. Yes, and if you want to get really technical and actually exact, if you have what's called a gray card, which I think is 18% gray, but it's a gray card. It's a certain thing. You can buy them from any camera shop. Mm -hmm. And you place that in your photo, 
sorry, and you place that in your scene and meter that, that's your middle gray. That's always your middle gray. Yes. And a lot of people do that. A lot of, yeah. I mean, and I think that's a good way to start. I actually own a um, reflector and oh, yeah. it has the middle gray on the other side of it. Yeah. I have a gray card. I've never used it. Maybe you should. Maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Going to number six, going from the darker end to the lighter end. Uh, number six is light leaves or light rocks or your average Caucasian skin. Seven is very light skin. Weathered white paint on a house would be something. And eight, which is really the lightest we want to go in a photo, pretty much, is the lightest shade of gray that can still retain some amount of texture. So think of snow shot late in the day with the shadows kind of rippling over the snow. So depending on the light, zone five middle gray could appear almost anywhere in the scene. Zone five anchors the zone system. Everything in the scene is lighter or darker than zone five. Yes. The reason we'd be using the zone system is so that we can make sure the print or the scan is the same as what we saw in the field or in the studio. Zone five in the field should be zone five in the print. And yes. I think that's like kind of the main reason, obviously, why to use the zone system. Yeah, is is for accuracy all the way through. Yes. Not many people talk about it using it with the scanning and the computer and your images and all that, but you could. I did it. Um, I added a zone system card in my Photoshop. And then we took your picture and I tried to match the zones yes. with a little eyedropper to make this fancy photo with all the zones I found in your picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so while EV is about brightness, <laughs> mm -hmm. the zone system isn't about brightness so much as it's about tonality. What's the tone we're looking at, not what the brightness is. And there's a difference there if we say there is. So with <laughs> with this with this image again, we do have all of our zones. So zone five, which is the one we're really striving for, mm -hmm. is the sky. And I was a little kind of like, really? Really? Zone five is the sky? But even Enzo Adams says a clear north sky is your zone five. That's middle gray. And he's correct. We're looking at this at this image again, that dark tone in the front of the building, that wood grain. That's a zone two. Mm -hmm. So we have to be a little careful to not underexpose that because we'll lose not just shadow detail, but we'll lose wood grain. And yes. depending on the emulsion that we're using, wood grain can look really amazing. Oh, yeah. So mind your wood grain if you're shooting old shit. <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, we've got that church with that yes. white side there. And that we've rated at zone seven. Mm -hmm. So there's maybe not too much of a worry about blowing that out, but something mm. to keep in mind. And zone eight, there's a little bit of wood on the side of the building that could get blown out. But even if you lose a little bit of that, it's not the, that's not the end of the world. You're not losing a whole structure. I zoomed in. There's definitely some detail in there. So well yeah. done. Thank you. <laughs> and then, you know, the trees are zone three and the other things just kind of fall into place, which is nice about the zone system. It falls into place. Mm -hmm. So how we get from the zone system to the settings on our camera, because it's, it's not really apparent here, is you do have to have a spot meter that reads EV for this. I'm sure that there's a lot of experienced zone users that are going to disagree with that. But this is how we're doing it. And if we're wrong, hey, I would love to find another method for doing this. And so you find your middle gray and you meter it with the same spot meter that we were talking about 
during the EV segment. And like we did in the EV segment, it's going to be EV14 because that's what it was. That's It's just the image. It's EV14. And so we are shooting at the same thing that we would be with EV. So in this case, F16, 160th of a second. The reason for using the zone system over the EV system is, I guess I would think of it as being aware of your final product, which is either a print or a scan, and also being more aware of your highlights and your shadows. So that sums up our first summation of the zone system. It's not perfect, but there you are. In an upcoming episode, probably not the next, but probably the one after, we will be discussing how to kind of manipulate it and use it in different ways. Stay tuned. All right, so this week, this week we have two very different zines for you and two very different zine reviews. Well, first up, we have issue three of Monochrome Mania by Mark O'Brien. <gasps> yeah. This, oh, I love this. Okay, Mark O'Brien from the FPP, he is back with Monochrome Mania 3, uh, which is like WrestleMania 3, but not as cool or cooler. I guess it really depends on your opinion of WrestleMania. This zine is more of a journal than a photo zine, uh, but it's becoming an incredibly necessary part of the film community, I think. In this issue, Mark tackles toy cameras. So many of us got into or back into film photography through Lomography and the Holga. And many of the same us have moved on to more professional or more complicated cameras. And and that's fine. Evolution is impossible to avoid. But maybe giving up the old entirely is kind of a bad idea. In this issue, Mark covers the medium format end of things. He gives the histories of the Diana, the Holga, FPP's plastic fantastic debonair, uh, before deep diving into the vintage, where we all kind of live. This includes the Agfa Clack, a camera Vanya has recently fallen in love with. I do. I yes. love that camera. I was actually really impressed with it. Uh, it was. It's a fun camera. <laughs> the moniker toy camera is wildly subjective at best. For instance, Mark includes my beloved Brownie number two in the mix. An argument could certainly be made the other way and his way as well. And either way. I'm glad he covered it. He also took on the Imperial Camera Company out of Chicago, a favorite of mine. I still have my Savoy, my Imperial Savoy, and I even put a zine out uh, with it, filled with its photos, and I think that zine is still available. Yeah, that's a good one. I, that's one of my favorites, and oh, I may or may not have helped you lay it out, but you know. You absolutely had a huge <laughs> part in that. Uh, the information he gives isn't just regurgitated camera wiki stats. Mark, he delves into a slew of tips and tricks for shooting these little wonders, from dealing Dealing with filters to the best film to run through each of them. The second half of the book is dedicated to the shots he took using the various cameras he discussed in the first half of the zine. At this point, we've covered all three of his issues, and all three are really just wonderful reading. Mark provides the experience and the geekery that sometimes goes missing among the newer generations of film shooters, our generation and kind of included. I'm always thrilled when a new issue arrives, and this one is absolutely no different. I I, I kind of devoured this issue. I loved it. Thank you again for doing this, Mark, and, and I can't wait for the next one. If you want to contact Mark or just follow him, he is MFO Photos on Instagram. His full-size zine is 12 bucks, and it really is worth it. It's worth well more than that. We'll have links in our show notes and just seriously pick it up. So, Vanya, what is your review this this time around? So I have two zines. 
Mm. I got from Federico in Italy. <laughs> so I have his first scene that he made, Metro, and Veniti Doratus, which means lost in Venice. And I'm totally butchering that. I'm sorry. I'm Italian-American. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> Federico sent me to the two zines. His first zine, Metro, is a half-size zine with a nice glossy cover and uncoated paper. And hey, mm-hmm. just so you guys all know, I've been kind of noticing people doing more uncoated paper, and I'm liking it a lot. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I, I really do. I've done it a couple of times to varying effect, but... I do generally like it. So he explains he made some mistakes and that he learned a lot by doing it. So I kind of wanted to actually stop my review right here for a second. Okay. Because I'm totally going to have my mom moment. <laughs> oh, I gotta do okay. It. <laughs> okay. All right. So if you are listening and haven't made a zine or have something unfinished because you're second guessing it, finish it. I promise you everything will be fine. Do it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, it's been about a year since you've put out a zine. And I know that you have at least two that you're kind of working on. Maybe even three. So, look. Um, do as I say, not as I do. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they're probably unfinished because you're second guessing them. But finish them. I promise you, everything will be fine. Just do it. And right now, for those who cannot see, she is flipping me off. And it is probably warranted. Please continue. Yes. I need this and you need this. Uh, You have to start somewhere. You are a photographer. You document. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a film photographer. You spend the time to use film. You owe it to yourself to see your work on paper, coded or uncoded. (laughs) We all have to start somewhere and making a zine gives you the opportunity to look at your photographs in one cohesive piece. It made me rethink what I shoot and how. So back to Federico. He sent me his two zines. I do notice a huge difference between the two. I mean, the first one is great, but the second one is amazing. Oh Oh, my gosh. I did write a review, but he sent me this letter... (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I think he just says it in the letter and I would like to read it. And I asked him if I could and he said it was okay. So I'm going to read it really quick. This summer has been extremely hard for me. Probably the toughest I have lived through. It was the first time I was alone due to a bad breakup right after the Italian lockdown. I struggled a lot for the first months. But in this heartbreaking moment, I did something I wouldn't have thought I would do, which was organizing a solo vacation in Venice. I have always wanted to go to Venice, but I never had the time to go. Due to the whole global pandemic, I thought to myself, it would have been the perfect moment to go because of the lack of tourists due to traveling restraints. I was right. Only a third of tourists were there. It was hard being alone in a beautiful city full of couples, reminding me the things I missed, but also giving me the strength and courage of being alone. I had moments where I felt like a loser, especially during the evening, which you can tell with the choice of music I listened to. But I am so proud of myself in the progress. I have made for me. Even if the road to recover is still long, I know that Venice was a huge milestone. And when I watch these pictures, I can't help not to smile. I hope it is the same for you. This book is called Venetia Doratus. Doratus is Latin and comes from the verb dorari, I think. (laughs) 
<laughs> totally blowing it. Sorry. <laughs> Which means to wander off. That was the whole point of my trip, to wander off in Venice. Getting lost in finding the city's little secrets and gems. That's why I chose this title, because I was lost in Venice. This photo book consists of what I saw in my four days in Venice. It consists of my emotions during my solo vacation and consists in what I was listening to in the moment when I took the photo. Every photo I have, a sentence of a song I was listening to when I took the shot. If you want to understand what I was feeling and live the emotions I lived, I highly suggest you scan the QR code, which will bring you to a YouTube link and listen to that song meanwhile when you see the photo. And then he says, like, probably going to take some time. And I'm actually doing that right now. I'm going through it and listening listening to it and oh my god (laughs) (laughs) seriously i'm so blown away so yeah he like incorporated music into every single page with a qr code and i'm kind of disappointed that i didn't think of this because (laughs) it is like so rad i mean i love photography and of course like probably most of you guys music is a huge part of my life so like combining these two things together oh my gosh so good (laughs) i don't know i can't even explain like these photos are so amazing i'm glad he sent me both of the zines there is a huge difference between the two he's done some like amazing things his layouts are just perfect and Honestly, I think this might be my favorite zine of the year. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. And the letter, obviously, heartfelt, sad, but real. You know, he was working through some stuff, and he pushed through it with photography. It's kind of amazing. And it's Venice, you guys, (laughs) with, like, barely any people. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I remember that he called in, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, Yes. And he, he did, I don't want to kind of open this back up, but he, he talked about one of the things he wanted to do is just spend time with his girlfriend and, and, and photograph her and, and be with her. And then we heard from him a little while later and they had broken up and he was kind of on a solo journey. And I think he called right before going into Venice. Yes, he did. And this is uh, the outcome of that. And it's, it's sad. I mean, we've all, we've all had our heart broken. We've all gone, th- gone through. This is a very human thing. Yes. But to see it play out kind of publicly, tangentially, and purposefully is an odd thing that I didn't think that we would be doing as a podcast. Yeah. And (laughs) I am so grateful that we have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's such a weird honor to be able to be privy to someone's heartbreak. That's, <laughs> That's terrible. Not our own. <laughs> I get, and then, but it is though. I mean, it's a it's a very personal thing, and to allow other people to have just even glimpses of that—that's yeah. really kind of wonderful and magical and heartbreaking, and you know, real human. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do with photography, right? We're trying to share our experiences and share what it's like to be human. Yes. And this is it. I think so. Yeah. I'm so yeah. grateful to have a copy of this scene. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, if you would like to contact Federico for a copy, uh, he's on Instagram. It's uh-huh. Fetty Quagolino. I'm so sorry. He's so mad <laughs> at me right now. <laughs> Well, we'll put a link in the show notes. So definitely check his workout. You will not be sorry. (laughs) 
If you'd like to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash all through a lens. We've got bonus episodes, full length interviews. I can't talk for some reason right now. My words <laughs> are like, my tongue is like broken. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. And so we'll have the, for example, the full interview with Jimmy Maldonado up for everybody who has a certain level. I think it's a $10 level on that. And for the $5 level, we've got bonus episodes and just early content. We've got, we're getting, we're amassing kind of a lot of stuff up there and it's really kind of, it's wonderful. So yeah, head on over to patreon.com slash all through a lens. And we know things can be pretty tight with all of us right now. So if you need to pause your Patreon account, we, we really do understand, you know, no hard feelings. We, and it gets so trite and boring to say, but we are all in this together. So if we can help you in that way, uh, we are completely fine with it. So. And so we've, since the last episode, we've had three new people sign up for Patreon. <gasps> and yeah, thank you all so much. And let's see, we've got Angela Solis. Colin Ray. And Kevin Staniger. Yay! Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you. And our featured patron this <gasps> time around is... Kiki Wilkins! Oh, hey, Kiki. Oh my gosh, I love Kiki. He is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he has a bunch of zines out, right? He's a he's a views from Tucson. Yes, yes, yes. Oh uh, my god, very gosh. worth checking out. Uh, yes. You can see his Instagram at Kiki Wilkins, and he is also at KikiWilkins.com. Uh, uh, I have to tell you this story. So he sent okay. me a postcard recently, and. It is a um, special kind of quail. And, you know, he's a little sassy with me. And he's like, it's way better than the California quail, which, okay, it is. And it's a really cool <laughs> photograph. And I shared it on my story. And I forgot that he said not to share it because he didn't post it yet. And he was like, he said, he said that he was going to steal one of my cameras or something if I posted it. So I posted it and he saw it because I tagged him and he's like, that's it. <laughs> I deleted it right away, but it was so funny. Oh my gosh. He's great. He's been a listener from the very beginning and his support is just is helping us so much right now and all of your support is helping us so much and we really we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. We really do. Definitely, thank you. I mean, it was... I mean, I can say this over and over again, but it, it's always weird to like ask people for like money, especially in a time like this. So helping us out, it's been, it's just very nice. I don't it know. is. My heart is a wool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's about all the podcasts we've had for you today. And it's been a pretty full podcast. So yes, hopefully it your has. tummies are, are all filled up with, <sighs> with wonderful podcasty goodness. But one more thing before we go, we yes. have to remind you again about the question for next week, the answering machine question. What is that? How has 2020 changed you as a photographer? Yeah. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. <laughs> If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail, and we're allthroughalens on Twitter. Vanya is at SurfMartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out to see what we're listening to. Just search allthroughalens. And this time around, 
around, we're doing a playlist about animals. Because why not? You can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you can find your podcast. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. See you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Vanya? Yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. (laughs) I like that you still laugh at that. It's funny. (laughs) I like saying bad words. You know, 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 something pinched my butt. There was a ghost behind me, maybe.